Welcome to the 3D Parent Podcast. My name is Bevan Walters, your host and founder of The 3D Parent. I'm a certified parent coach and have spent the last decade living my calling in life, helping parents navigate the tough stuff like tantrums, sibling conflict, screen time overload, and managing the transition into the teenage years. My purpose is to provide you with the tools you need as a parent to lead with dignity, direction, and deep connection in your family relationships. My goal in creating the 3D Parent Podcast is to inform, empower, and increase confidence in parents so they can trust their instincts and make the best decisions possible for their families. For these reasons, I've rated this podcast FPEO for parents' ears only. Parenting is challenging, but you don't have to do it alone. Welcome back to the 3D Parent Podcast. Today is an episode where I once again get to answer listener questions. I love these segments because I feel like it's a conversation directly with people who have been tuning in and listening to the 3D Parent Podcast, and I get to hear from you topics and questions and challenges that you currently are dealing with with your families, and it helps me think of topics that are relevant that I can develop into full length episodes. But for right now, when I'm answering your questions, I try to stay pretty much right to the point and give a snippet of advice. But many of these topics, like I said, I do tend to develop into full length segments because they are topics that warrant that amount of attention. But I'm going to try today and answer these questions the best of my ability, but with a more succinct answer. And like I said, I promise to do follow-up episodes on some of these topics because they are great questions. And I also want to encourage you and put in a plug right away that if you have questions, please send them to me. I love hearing from you directly, and I would love the opportunity to answer your questions on my podcast. You can go ahead and request that I use a pseudonym if you don't prefer that I use your actual name. I'll only use first names and I will let you know if I answer one of your questions on a future podcast. Also, if you're interested in having a live parent coaching session with me, please also reach out to me and let me know that you'd like to do so. It would be an opportunity for me to kind of hear from you a challenge and we could problem solve together and it would be recorded and played on a future episode and be a help to other parents who may have the same or similar challenges. So please contact me if you're interested in being a future guest and doing a podcast featuring your challenges and free parent coaching session to boot. So if you want to contact me, you can find my contact information on the 3dparent.com website. All right, jumping into my first question. This was submitted by Ray. My eight-year-old daughter seems to get bouts of anxiety that leave her teary and with tummy ache. I've never personally experienced these sorts of feelings, so would love some advice on how to support her and decrease her resilience and self-confidence. So many kids run anxious and alarmed. In fact, there's been a real increase in kids experiencing anxiety at younger ages. So your child is not alone. It's also not, you're not the only parent who has a child who runs on the more anxious side where you don't necessarily relate to these feelings. So it's kind of hard to be able to share from your own personal experiences like you can other things. So 
I would encourage a few things. And this is one of those topics that I do intend to expand upon at a future episode. But just kind of like jumping right into your specific question, Ray, I would encourage you to talk with your daughter. She's eight years old. She probably has some insight into things that cause these bouts of anxiety. So identify those triggers. What are the times or the things that cause her to feel anxious? If it's generalized anxiety and she just feels these feelings all the time and there's not an identifiable trigger, that is something I highly encourage you to talk to her pediatrician about and seeing if it might warrant a time talking with a therapist and getting some tools specific to just generalized anxiety. If you're able to identify that it's just certain triggers, um, she gets nervous before she does something new. She gets nervous on the first day of school. She has school-associated anxiety where it's just hard for her to leave the comfort of her home and leave you and go to school in the morning. So if you can identify those triggers, then you can go ahead and you can talk through and you can problem solve and you can come up with an action plan with her. I really encourage you, if you have identified some triggers, not to try and talk her out of her fears, out of the things that cause her alarm. Oh, you've got nothing to worry about. Oh, that's nothing to be scared about. I encourage you not to do so, but rather to normalize, to do the exact opposite and say, gosh, you know, lots of people feel nervous and lots of people feel anxious when it's the morning and they're going to school. Normalize things that it may not cause anxiety for you as you shared, but that is normal to feel those feelings that many people share those feelings. I would also encourage you to instill that you yourself are confident in taking care of her and her worries, that you are able to work through them with her and that they don't cause too much stress and anxiety for you, in which case you might be communicating to her that it is too much for you to handle and that will increase her anxiety and alarm. So using those encouraging words like, gosh, that's a lot. I'm here. I'm going to help you through this. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to take these worries on with you or for you. Encouraging her, letting her know that you're here with her, helping her make sense of these triggers and these things are causing alarm for her. Then I encourage you to work on her developing. You spoke about increase her resilience and her self-confidence. So I really encourage you to work through helping her face things that cause fear and anxiety for her by talking about the good things, the things that might increase desire. And here's an example of that, okay? Let's say you're at the county fair or at a theme park and there is kind of a thrilling ride that your child looks at and thinks, oh my gosh, that looks really fun. I want to do it. But she also at the same time hears screaming because people are, you know, on this thrilling ride and they're screaming and that's making her feel kind of nervous. So when you have her experiencing more than one feeling at a time, we call that integrative functioning, mixed feelings, the ability to feel more than one feeling at a time, which at eight years of age, she should be working on this and getting pretty good at this, feeling more than one feeling at a time so that she can kind of mix feelings of desire, gosh, I really want to go on that ride with feelings of fear and anxiety, oh, but I'm scared. So when you kind of help talk through, gosh, you're having these mixed feelings, you kind of want to go on the ride, but it's also making you feel scared at the same time. Focus on the desire piece, the well, I want to go on that because it'll be really fun because I'm uh, going on a ride and feeling the wind in my face and going up and down. And I know that once I face my fears, I'm going to be so glad I did because it will be a really fun thing to do. 
when you help her increase the desire, when the desire becomes greater than the fear, that's where resiliency, that's where confidence, that's where courage comes from. That ability to kind of face a fear and kind of like give into the desire, the interest in doing something that might be a little bit hard. When you've done that and you've pushed through, gosh, that's where the self-confidence and the resilience can really, really grow. So that's just kind of a quick little bit of insight into how to kind of help your child who is experiencing some anxiety. My next question comes from Chrissy and she writes, I have three kids that span in age from 15, 11, and seven. My youngest is my son and he is the seven-year-old and he every single day says it's not fair. Nothing is fair compared to his sisters because they do different things because of their age or because of their ability. Help. Okay. I can really relate to this one, Chrissy. I have four kids ranging in age from five to 15, and I am not at all unfamiliar with the phrase, this is not fair. That's not fair. It's something I hear a lot, particularly from my younger two kids who are aware of the older kids having privileges and getting to do things and getting to have things because of their age and stage and development that they don't get. So here are some ideas and tips. First and foremost, don't let this trigger you. I know it's easier said than done, but don't let your child's cries of this isn't fair set you off and get you to lash out and to basically react because of your frustration. Instead, validate those feelings. Yeah, that doesn't feel fair to you. You're upset. You wish that you got to do the things that your sisters are doing and that's upsetting to you. Validate those feelings. Let him know that you hear him. You can see this is frustrating for him. You're not ignoring these feelings that he has stirred up in him. That's the first thing. Second tip, stop trying to make things fair and even. We play into this as parents. We do oftentimes try and cut the exact same size uh, wedge of cake, make sure that everybody gets something even. We always are trying to kind of make sure that everybody gets the same amount of things until they don't because it's not appropriate because they're age and stage. Stop trying to play into this evenness, fairness game. Life is not fair. We know that. The cliche is there because it is true. This is just a futility in life that must be faced. So stop trying to play into it and keep track, keep score, um, you know, number things. If there's a reoccurrent issue around things like, oh, so-and-so always gets something first and you have multiple kids, it's okay to go ahead and create some type of a structure that rotates. My kids sometimes fight about who gets to sit next to me at dinner. And so we can have a rotated structure where it's every other night. That's fine. But in general, when it comes to things like doling out of treats, when it comes to amount of time somebody gets to do something, stop trying to reinforce this concept of keeping things even and fair and keeping track of things. It's just a futility that must be faced. That said, you don't want to shove it in your kid's face and be like, sorry, life's not fair. Deal with it. Again, you're going to be validating those feelings and expressing that you understand that that is upsetting and frustrating. Another thing that I encourage you to do is the exact opposite of trying to keep things fair and even for your kids, but rather to play into the natural hierarchy that exists in families with more than one child. When you have more than one child and they're spread out across ages as you have in your household, as I have in my household, that's okay. And because of that, 
age spread, yes, the older kids get some privileges that come with age, but they should also at the same time be taking on more responsibility. With age comes more privilege and or more responsibility. So make sure that that is part of your family's kind of way that you operate. So when you get older, you take on more responsibilities around the home. You take on more chores. You might take on some more um, help in babysitting with younger siblings. Uh, My kids, as they get older, they take on more uh, chores and jobs around the household. They do their own laundry. My little kids are not doing their own laundry yet. My older kids are. So they're being held to uh, more responsibility, taking care of more things for themselves. And yeah, they have some privileges also because they've reached a certain age and stage of development. So I encourage you to kind of draw attention to the fact that yes, so-and-so is older and they've reached a stage where I feel they're ready for these things, but also recognize they also have more responsibilities because of their age. It's not just all the glory. It's not just all the fun things in lives. You'll hear this a lot when you have older kids that have maybe particular devices like phones and younger kids, that's not fair. I want my own phone. And recognizing that you don't get a phone until you're ready. And I'm going to let you know that I will determine the time at which you are ready for this thing. I'm not going to ignore you. It's not about being unfair. It's about me as a parent recognizing the needs of my children and acting responsibly about that. And I know that I will be able to find the time and stage when you're ready for this thing. Up until then, it's just not something that's going to happen. It doesn't feel fair to you. I understand that. And I'm here to support you through that upset. That's basically where you want to be operating from when it comes to range of age of kids and this constant cry of it's not fair. Another thing that you can do is you yourself can model your own acceptance of this futility, that life is not fair. You can model that yourself in terms of your ability to accept that. Perfect example, this past last couple of weeks, it was the holidays, traveling with my family. We were in Disney World and my younger kids didn't always want to go on the more thrilling rides. And so my husband and I would kind of split up and we'd do the rider swap kind of thing and take turns who went with the big kids. And, and then we would get turns later where sometimes it didn't work out. Sometimes we didn't have turn enough time for um, both my husband and I to ride the ride um, before we had to move on to our next activity or event or decided it was time to go for the night. So there were times when I didn't get to ride the fun ride. And I just was like, that's okay. That's the way it worked out today. You know, I could have been like, well, that's not fair. I want to ride the ride too. But I'm like, nope, it didn't happen this time. It's too bad. I wish I could have ridden the ride, but I'm just going to have to move on with life. So when you model your own acceptance of a futility, of a frustration, of a disappointment, you're showing your kid what it looks like to kind of graciously accept that sometimes things don't work out even. Things don't work out exactly as is ideally possible and fair, but you can kind of go on and be resilient and live with that futility. Hey there, parents. Are you tired of feeling like your kids are in charge at home, negotiating, demanding, and generally calling all the shots? Well, then I have a free resource for you called 10 Steps to Get Back in Charge of Your Kids. Just click the link below to download your own copy. Let's get you back in the driver's seat. The last thing I want to encourage you to do, um, and this is not to necessarily go out and be like, I'm going to teach you about fairness in life. Let's go learn from those less fortunate. But if your family does have a practice of doing things for others, 
taking care of those less fortunate, volunteering. A couple of years ago, I took my family down to a local organization that has donated toys and you get a family and you get to wrap all the presents for this particular family who otherwise would not have any gifts, any toys to provide for their children during the holidays. So doing that with my children, it wasn't like, I'm going to teach you guys about fairness so you don't complain when you don't get the toy that you want. It was completely, we're going to go do this thing together as a family. I hope that my children, through going through this process, became kind of aware of, gosh, what it might look like if I were not so fortunate, what it might be to be a kid whose family couldn't provide for me. So instead of complaining that it's not fair, I didn't get this thing, recognizing that, oh my gosh, there's a whole level of fairness out there in this world I need to become aware of. And of course, the older your kids are, the more they'll become aware to these um, things outside in the world, this social justice piece, and become more cognizant of what truly is fair and unfair. And if you start kind of providing opportunities for your kids to learn through volunteering out in the community, they might get there sooner than if that was not something you did with your family. So I encourage you to volunteer and help those less fortunate as a family practice so that your kids can start learning about fairness on a different, more global level. My next question comes in from Anne. My son is almost 16 and my nephew is now 18. They are vaping and believe pot is no big deal because it's legal in neighboring states. I've told my son it's not legal in my house, nor will it ever be okay for him to do so. He's a leukemia survivor and last year had suicidal thoughts. I'm terrified of this fine line I need to walk. I need to have him respect my rules and I'm terrified that he'll sink into depression again and I'll lose him. So walking the fine line is my topic suggestion. Thank you so much, Anne. And I also appreciate that I have a question from a parent of an older child. Many of my listeners have younger kids, and it is my desire to reach a wide range of ages of the kids of parents who are listening to my podcast. So it's great and refreshing for me to have a question having to do with an older child. So you're talking about a fine line. I would argue with you and say, this is not a fine line. This is a rigid, firm boundary. Vaping and pot smoking is not okay in your home. It's not a fine line. I think what feels uncomfortable for you is what you shared, that your son has a history of maybe some depression or at the very least, or most, uh, most distressing suicidal thoughts and ideology. And also the sense that um, there's maybe a little bit of guilt um, kind of having such a firm boundary, knowing that your son is a survivor of leukemia and obviously has had a lot of hardship in his young life. However, don't let that stop you from setting the boundary that you need to set for him. You might even think about the fact that by not setting a firm boundary about vaping and pot smoking in your home, that that actually might be doing more damage to your relationship than having a real firm and clear boundary. Your child needs you to still, first and foremost, be his parent who lays down the law. You're not trying to be your child's best friend and you, you know, worrying that your child's going to be mad at you or is going to be hateful or resentful towards you for a period of time when you set down this boundary is something that you need to just make peace with. You setting this boundary is not going to cause your child to be 
suicidal. If he has a problem with depression and suicide, that needs to be, of course, addressed and should be taken very seriously, as no doubt you have been doing so. However, your fear around setting boundaries and causing him to have recurrence of suicidal ideology, that is something that I want you to really reconsider here. Your child needs you to be the mama bear. He is an out-of-line cub. And he needs you to be that strong mama bear who's going to check him and say, "Uh uh-uh, not in my home, not okay by me, and to set up some appropriate boundaries around um, smoking and um, both vaping and pot in your home. And the same goes for your nephew. It's important that he knows that that is not okay and that he's not welcome in your home if he is vaping or using pot period. So I encourage you, Anne, I know this is a tough one. I know dealing with kids as their adolescence and developing and kind of pushing boundaries and becoming their own people um, can be really challenging. But I want to encourage you to remember, first and foremost, your job is to be this strong mama bear leader and get your child the support he needs to deal with some maybe recurrent depression. And if he has any more suicidal thoughts, for sure, reach out, get him the support that he needs. But don't make that fearful for you in terms of having to lay down a very thick and tall line. It's not a thin line. I'm telling you, this is a clear boundary that you need to set for your child. Thank you so much for that question. Um, last question that I am going to tackle today, completely swinging the other age range. This is from Sarah, who is mom to a 14-month-old and has a question about sleep. How do I get my 14-month-old to sleep the whole night? I've read all the books, and then and this is my second kid, but she goes to bed fine at 7 o'clock and then is up starting around midnight, rarely will go back to sleep in her crib. And if she does, it starts with screaming. I end up nursing her to sleep in my bed, and she's there until morning between 6.30 or 7. She naps from 1 to 3 in the afternoon. That's been getting pretty consistent, but I want my bed and my full night's sleep back. Mama is losing brain, mama is losing brain cells. Um, and then she added in, I don't, do not nurse her to sleep initially, just FYI. Thanks so much, Sarah. In terms of sleep, that's a huge topic and I'm not going to go fully into that. I'm going to save that for another day, but I will give you some thoughts right off the bat about this topic. And the first and foremost is kind of my somewhat polarizing viewpoint that I am not a proponent of cry it out methods or leaving children alone when they are waking up or trying to fall asleep. I'm not a proponent of that. I think that is very well studied in terms of negative, um, how negative that can be for children and their development and increasing anxiety that can stick with a child lifelong. Um, I will go more into that in a future podcast for sure. But in terms of helping you, Sarah, with some perspective and some ideas, one of my main, main focuses in my practice as a parent coach and in my podcast and what I'm sharing is this idea that you need to be three-dimensional in terms of what you're looking at when your child has a behavior you consider to be problematic, like not sleeping through the whole night. Something is being communicated and you need to dig down and figure out, all right, what is the underlying need that I need to address? So in terms of your child, she's waking up in the middle of the night. She's going to bed fine, but then she wakes up. What is being communicated? Um, 
she's 14 months old. Does she really need to be nursed in terms of nutrition throughout the night? Maybe so, maybe no. And a lot of times we as parents think, well, gosh, my child doesn't need to eat. And our pediatricians might even tell us your child doesn't need to be eating in the middle of the night. And so it makes you kind of like lose your intuition and lose your sense of what does my child need if they're getting up in the middle of the night. And the only thing that seems to settle her is nursing and she doesn't actually need the nutrition of nursing. Maybe your child does. Maybe your child um, is going through a growth spurt and does need uh, more nutrition and it is serving that purpose. But there's something else, obviously, that comes from this nursing relationship and that is contact and closeness. And that is a relevant need. When children are waking up and the only thing that they want to settle down and go back to sleep is us, that is a need and that is a valid need. A lot of this um, sleep training, cry it out methodology. And again, like I said, I'll go into this more in a future episode. And I want to say that I'm not judging you. I myself with my first two children did use those practices. It's what I knew to do. It's what I was told to do. And I did go through the practice of letting my kids cry it out. Um, I took a completely different approach than my younger two kids. I had. Um, done a lot more reading on the subject and I had gone through my parent coach certification and learned a lot more about um, what my children's needs were. And I made a completely different choice with my younger two kids around sleep and night feeding and sleep arrangements, et cetera. But without going into too much more detail there, what I want to say is that I'm not judging those of you who have chosen or still will choose to do cry it out methods. I'm just letting you know that there may be more going on there. Children at 14 months old aren't sitting there thinking, I'm going to give my mom a hard night and wake her up all night long just so she doesn't get a good night's sleep, just to bug her and manipulative. That's not what's going on for your child. She's expressing a need and it may be nutrition and it may be contacting closest. So a couple of things to keep in, in mind. First and foremost is a time frame. This is not forever. This isn't a stage that you're in. And I know it can feel exhausting to be still not having a 14-month-old sleep through the night and you have another child as you shared. And that's a lot to take on. But just recognizing that this is just a snapshot in time. It's taking a lot out of you. But at the same time, it may be addressing an underlying need. You may have a child that has more in need right now for contact and closest. And this is how she's communicating that. And this is how currently you're addressing that. But there's other options. And this is the next thing I want to talk about. I would suggest, Sarah, that you find more ways to increase physical contact time during the day and connection time with your 14-month-old during the day. That is high quality. You didn't share if you're a stay-at-home parent or if you're a work-away-from-home parent, but even if you're with your child all day long and you're in the same physical proximity, sometimes we're so busy running around after other children or taking care of the tasks of the day that we don't spend a lot of time doing nothing but just connecting with our child, making eye contact, talking, playing, focusing, and uh, in, in just deepening our bond and connection with our child. So I would encourage you to really be very intentional about the time you're spending connecting with her during the waking hours. So you can kind of fill up her attachment needs during the day in the hopes that she won't necessarily have as much needs throughout the night. So that would be the um, tip I would share with you, Sarah, to try and increase that connection and contact and closeness and physical touch time during the day. 
in hopes that they'll be less during the night. But at the same time, I feel for you, Sarah. I know it's really exhausting to have little ones requiring parenting in the middle of the night, but it's just kind of one of those ages and stages and you will not be there forever. It's where you are right now. The other thing I would share with you is that when you get to the point where you feel like I can't do this one more night, this has gotten to be too much, is usually when you reach that breaking point is usually when things turn around. So just know that you just have to dig down deep and just kind of find it within you to kind of address the needs of your child for where she is right now and what she's communicating her needs are. But know also that there will be a light at the end of the tunnel. She's not going to be needing that level of support forever. And perhaps with some more focused attention and contact and focus on daytime interaction that is of high quality with her during the day, it might decrease her nighttime um, needs. Thank you so much again for the four of you who submitted these questions and keep them coming. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for tuning in this week to the 3D Parent Podcast. I hope it has provided you with the inspiration you need for building stronger relationships with your children and trusting your instincts when it comes to parenting. If you have a parenting question you'd like answered on the podcast, or if you'd like one-on-one parent coaching, head over to the3dparent.com and click the contact tab to send me your question. If today's discussion empowered your parenting, please be sure to subscribe to the show, leave a rating and a review. Also, I'd love to connect with you on social media. So take a screenshot, share it on your Instagram stories and tag me at the 3D Parent. I look forward to meeting you here again next week on the 3D Parent Podcast.